All right. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to the full cup. Hi, Libby. Hi, Dad. <laughs> nice to be back. It's good to have you back. I'm alive and I'm talking. He's alive and he's talking. Probably not as well as I used to, but uh, it's coming back slowly. Yes. I don't think many people are going to be able to tell the difference, just you. There's been a lot of people asking where you've been, and we've had Rachel fill in for a few, and that's been awesome. They You're put back. me in intensive care for four days and then told me they're going to keep me in the hospital three weeks, and I said, no, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm back to work now, and it feels good. Not quite uh, lining all the words up correctly, so if something comes out, you may have to correct me today, but uh, the information is still spilling out. Okay. A lot of, and let me just tell you, once you have a stroke and uh, you get a blessing and they tell you you're supposed to die and you live, uh, now I was a Jesus freak before, but now I'm nuts about it. Yeah, <laughs> that is true, <laughs> which is good. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah you got to preach what you know and what you believe and share that with everyone. I mean, right after I was out of the stroke and I went back to work probably too soon, uh, I would talk real loud so I could hear myself talk because I wasn't hearing what I was talking. And when I was done with a couple of sessions, my wife says, do you ever do psychotherapy anymore? And I said, what are you talking about? She said, well, as I heard through the door, all I could hear you is swearing about Jesus Christ and how important <laughs> is. And you're yelling at people. But they kept coming back and they left in tears loving it. So so uh, you, you talk therapy anymore? You only talk in religion. And I said, well, you know, you have a stroke, you get put in ICU for four days and you get a little goofy afterwards. And yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's wonderful. It's absolutely okay. wonderful. So you're going to hear a lot more about that. With neuroplasticity, we're going to talk about how the neuroplasticity is created by creating a belief or faith or stacked anchors of belief, too. So, Okay. Yeah. Well, um, so there's your precursor, people. We're going to be talking about Jesus and take it away. What do you want to share with us today? Well, I remember a story this morning when I was waking up. This happened um, years ago. I was sitting in a, in a church class, and I was sitting in a class. The teacher got up, and she said, you know, why is it important to, to say your prayers every day? Why is it important to read scripture? Why is it important to serve Jesus Christ? Why is it important to do all of that? And a lot of people were giving answers like, well, I, feel, I have a good day when I wake up and I start the day with a prayer. Or other people were saying, you know, if I read my scriptures in the evening, I sleep much better at night. Or another guy said, when I read scriptures, I always fall right to sleep. So it puts me to sleep. Yes. And she walked up to me and stood right in front of me and looked at me and said, well, Craig, why do you think it's so important to read your scriptures on a daily basis? And I looked at her and I said, well, sister, um, every time you read a scripture, every time you pray, every time you sing about Jesus, every time you talk to friends about Jesus, anytime you think about Jesus, you're sending another deer down the trail. And she looked at me and said, huh? <laughs> I said, well, I don't want to inter interrupt your class. Uh, let's just leave it there. She said, no, please explain it. And I said, well, what we know now from neuroplasticity is that everything that we've ever learned is nothing more but creating a neural pathway in our brain. And this neural pathway is very much like a canyon in the, in the forest. Have you ever been in the forest? Uh, let's, let's, let's pretend, Libby. Let's say we go camping one day and we're going to take the kids and we decide we're going to walk down the canyon, down into the river, and maybe wade in the river, catch some fish in the river, float the river. But as we walk along the edge of the canyon, we can't seem to find our way down because the brush is so thick. Mm -hmm. So we walk along the edge of the, the canyon and we see this, this path going through the oak brush that the deer have been using. 
and it's a pathway and it goes right down to the water. Now, if one deer every day has been using the deer trail down and back in the morning, down and back in the evening, it's probably not a real good deer trail. But if a hundred deer every day have been going down this path and back up this path and down the path and back up the path, it creates a nice pathway in the forest. We won't tear our shirt when we go through that pathway. Well, that's exactly how the brain works. Every time you were a little girl and in, in kindergarten or first grade, they said, Libby, two plus two equals four. And you went, okay, teacher, two plus two equals four. And then again, she'd say two plus two equals four. Okay, two plus two equals four. Two plus two equals four. And then she'd say one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. And after she sent the deer down the trail that two mm -hmm. plus two is four, how much is two plus two, Libby? Four. Because you have this neural pathway. Mm -hmm. So I explained that to the class. That's how our brain works. If I go down the path is, oh, I'm such a jerk. I'm no good. I hate life. I'm so depressed. And I wake up every morning. I'm so terrible. My life is so horrible. My life is so bad. Do you hear the creation I'm creating in my brain of neural yeah, pathways? Yeah, that's becoming your reality. This is how we form depression. This is how we form anxiety. <gasps> I'm nervous. <gasps> I'm nervous. I'm nervous. So I explained this, that the more deer you send down the path, positive or negative, mm -hmm. the deeper the neural pathway becomes in your brain. It starts how, what you think, how you feel. Everything is a neural pathway. So I stopped and I said, that I, I hope I didn't talk too much. He said, no, no, that was fine. That was helpful. Then I went into church and I was sitting in church getting ready for a sacrament meeting, they call it. We call it. And I was sitting there. I was thinking about some of my own depression in my life. When I was a child, I really suffered a lot of depression. Mm -hmm. I was very miserable. Uh, as a young boy, I actually thought about taking my life when I was very young, several times, came very close a couple of times. This is as a child and even in my early teenage years. I also had some really, really severe anxiety. I would be fearful if I, if, where I was going to sleep that night, where I would uh, find the shed or out in the field or if it was raining or whatever. And I would really get scared. So I had a lot of deer going down a pathway of depression and a pathway of severe anxiety. I'll call my pathway, which I did for years, my pathway of anxiety was red, the red path. Mm -hmm. But I'd also send a lot of deer down the brown path, depression. I also, I think I talked to you before about this, as a child, to protect myself, I would fight, but I could never whip my brother. He would whip me. And so I learned to swear pretty good. Yes, you've shared that. And us. so I would swear a lot. Mm -hmm. And so one of my deepest pathways was profanity. Mm -hmm. So we'll have black, brown depression, and red anxiety. And I'm sitting in church thinking about this. And I was, you know, 40, somewhat, maybe 50, thinking, I can't remember the last time I felt anxiety. Mm -hmm. I haven't felt red for years. A little bit once in a while, you know, if somebody pulls in front of me in the car, 60 miles an hour or something. But severe anxiety was gone. And so was, so was brown. I don't get depressed. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting there and I couldn't remember the last time I really blasted with black. 
the F word and those words that I used to use. I don't use those words anymore. And all of a sudden it hit me. What's the deepest pathway in my brain now? The white path. I sent so damn many deer down the white path, pleading with God, praying to God, singing about God, telling people about God, talking to God, uh, reading scriptures, doing all of the things that all of the religions have taught us to do. It literally creates positive neural pathways. And now, even when I have a difficulty today, instead of going, oh, I'm so depressed about this, this bad thing happened. Oh, no, I'm worried about my kids. What's going to happen? What do I do? I go, oh, man, we're going to learn some stuff from this. Because what did God tell me? All line affliction shall be consecrated for thy gain. Blessed be the name of God, for through thy transgression, through my transgression, my eyes are opened. What? So we start to learn these kinds of things. And those are the deepest pathways in my brain. I rarely get anxious anymore. I rarely... I'm a little anxious right now because my language isn't coming out as well as it was <laughs> three months it's ago. doing but, very well. It's, it's, it's getting there. But I don't go down that path. I go down the white path. Now, I want to caution you as we talk about the white path or what I'll call spirituality. I think in one of the earlier workshops, I talked about the struggle between the soul and the soul is made up of a body and a spirit. Yes. And, and call it yin and yang, if you like. But I called the body and the spirit struggle the body and the spirit makes up the soul. Okay. And Christian the theology tells us, most Christian theology tells us that the soul is made up from a carnal, physical, nasty ass body strapped on a pure, divine, perfect spirit. Mm -hmm. And so you got this red part and this white part and this struggle goes every day, day in and day out. Mm -hmm. If I'm sending more deer down the red path, then that's the kind of life I'm going to have. If I send more deer down the white life, I will still have difficulties. But when you have the white path as the deepest white path, even though you face difficulties while you're alive in this world, you go down the white path and the white path gets better and easier to go through than a deeper white path than the red path that I spent 22 years. I spent 22 years as an alcoholic drinking beer like it was crazy. I'd go down the red path. Oh, I'll just go get drunk. Well, that didn't really clear up my depression. I felt good for a minute, but my wife left me five times in those first 17 years of, of our marriage. Uh, we struggled a lot. We went through this because I would go down the red path. But in my life, I finally realized that white was the way to go. Now, I'm going to caution about this, too. A number of years ago, a study was done, and this was done in another university. Uh, I can't remember. It was either UCLA, I think it was USC, somewhere. But this was what the research said. What they did is they looked at what we call faith-based therapies or faith-based therapists. Okay. A lot of people who are religious, they will go to their, to their religious leader for help in their, in their therapy and psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. And as you well know, uh, a lot of your Baptist ministers, a lot of them get their PhD in counseling psychology. Uh, all your seminary teachers in, in are getting their MSW or their PhDs in, in psychology or different things like that. Uh, a lot of your Catholic priests, they get their PhDs in theological counseling and different things like that. So it's wonderful when people turn to their faith-based therapist to help them create neural pathways and help them through that. But what the research taught them at the time was this. It really didn't make much difference whether you're going to a religious therapist or a non-religious therapist. They were fairly equal. But what they did find was this. They determined that our earliest authoritative figure in our life, 
those people who demonstrated authority to us, mm -hmm. our mother, our father, maybe a, a teacher, a preacher, a bishop, whatever, what they demonstrated as authority, we began to experience that's what authority is. And therefore, that lens, remember lenses from yes. early on, that creates a lens of authority from those people with the most power. So then I view God through the lens I was handed with my earthly experience. Yes. So if my father was never in my life, how do I now view God? Never. He'll never be in my life. If my mother told me, said, I hate your gut, you make me sick, you're a little twit, I'm going to beat the snot out of you, how do I view God? The same. What we found from that research is that oftentimes early on, that earliest experience of authority creates a lens for us. We call it a neurological unconscious submodality, creates this lens that can affect how we then view the world. So I tell people, please, if you're going to use your belief system in a supreme being to create neural pathways of goodness, truth, love, that you're loved and adored, make sure that you clear out the old lenses from your earliest authoritative figure. Make sure your God loves you no matter what you've ever done mm -hmm. or will ever do. He loves you even in our duality. Everybody struggles between the body and the spirit. David O. McKay called it the duality of man. And then he said the duality of man is the plan of God. We have this life, this struggle between red and white. Who's going to be the captain? Well, I spent a big part of my life being led by the red side, kicking butt, drinking beer, partying, raising hell, yeah. until I realized I wasn't very happy. And I started to find that the white way to go, first I had to figure out that my God really does love me and adores me and cherishes me, even in my duality, and will ever, ever stop loving me. So I can't emphasize enough, in using a belief system in a supreme being, make sure you're free. He's not holding you captive. He's the principle of agency. According to some theology, there was a big war in heaven. One guy jumped out and said, I'll make him captive and drag him back and give me the glory. And the other guy said, no, 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 no. Let's use father's plan. Let's use our, give them their agency. Let them figure it out on their own. The guy in the black hat said, let's make them. Let's force them. Let's force them. And the other guy says, no, they got to figure this out on their own. But a lot of people have interpreted their church as a form of captivity. Their church and is their captivity. Yeah, when in fact, God says, you have a choice in this. I'm giving you all this good shtick, this righteousness, this way to live life, this white way of living life, is because life's a bugger. You're going to have a struggle with red and white. But if you live in the white, life is going to be better. And I will promise you that. And that's psychology. That's neural pathway, creating neural pathways of white paths, things down the path of of righteousness of good stuff of the of the uh, living a wonderful life you're gonna have a wonderful life mm -hmm. you live a crummy life a horrible life a bad life do all the red stuff <laughs> good luck on that one you're gonna have some fun but you're gonna struggle yeah. but you can get through that anytime he says this is what he said to me i gotta emphasize this when i was 13 i drank beer well i was 13 and i was drinking beer when i came home after drinking beer did i feel bad Yes. Oh, I felt I was horrible. And I said my prayers, please forgive me, please forgive me, please forgive me. Oh, I'm such a terrible person. And I felt horribly guilty, and I felt God was angry with me. Mm -hmm. And God was disappointed in me and so bitter. Well, the next week, my friend showed up with another keg of beer. We went out barring again. Woohoo! And I drank, and I drank, 
and I drink. And I felt like God hates me. God doesn't like me. My wife said, I won't marry you if you quit drinking. So I'll, I will, I won't marry you if, if you, you keep quit. drinking. Yes. Yeah. Okay. If you keep drinking. Yeah. So I quit for a little while. We got married. And then a couple of years later, I was back drinking again. Oh no, I'm a horrible person because I'm drinking. Mm-hmm. I'm a party. What am I doing? Oh, I'm terrible. Then one day they asked me to teach primary. These are kids. I think my, well, the second lesson was the four hours of repentance. I'll never forget that. I think I was about 28. (laughs) And then I realized that there's some wonderful scripture that we'll talk at length next week. What's the greatest commandment? The great, the life. So what's the great commandment? He said, love God, love your enemy as yourself. What? I'm supposed to love myself and I'm supposed to love God. And love my enemy, and my God loves me, no matter what, even in my duality. Well, when I'm feeling on this side, I hate me, I'm a terrible person, and I would try to overcome that, versus on this side, I'm drinking, I'm doing stupid stuff, I need to try quitting that, but he loves me. Which side is going to be more helpful to help me to give up this thing that I'm doing? That I am loved? Or that he hates me and he's pissed off and I'm disappointing him. I got to quit drinking because I keep disappointing him. Obviously coming to realize he loved me. Mm-hmm. We'll talk extent about the people I see who are addicted to drugs, alcohol, a porn. That's a big issue right now. So many men and a few women are even addicted to porn and all those kinds of things that are coming in. They're captive. Guy in the black hat's got them captive to the red stuff of this world. And so they condemn themselves. I'm no good. And so they, well, God hates me. So I'm going to leave God and just go do this. Yeah, just give up and be done with it. (laughs) I know. When I hear that, I laugh. I go, what are you leaving for? He loves you more than anybody does. Your parents, everybody else might be disappointed. You, My parents were disappointed in me because I was drinking. My wife was. Everybody else, oh, you're a bum. Friends of mine, you can't play with you anymore because you're a drinker. Until I finally reeled out, he said, Craig, now listen to me, boy. I still love your butt no matter what. And I'm not going to stop loving you. Okay. You got to give up. Go ahead. What you're gonna say. No, I was going to say, but when your parents, you're saying that God comes from your first authoritative figure. And when your parents say, I don't love you anymore because you act this way. Yeah. How are you going to change that? Except through years of therapy, <laughs> probably <laughs> to say, oh no, I know God loves me. No matter what I do. Well, I hope you got that for me. I did get that for you. So I got to give up the drinking. But <laughs> but I think that, um, yeah, that's a hard thing for a lot of people to make that shift and say, you know what, even though I'm living this way, I, I mean, yes, it's so much easier to push God away and say, well, you know what, I'm feeling bad about this. So. I'm actually not going to believe it anymore. That's what people do. And I'm not, God's not real. This isn't real. It's okay if I drink it's and, or do whatever or have these addictions. And maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but either way, you don't need to push God away. You can have God there to help you. Please don't, because I promise everybody, if you live the red life, you're going to get your ass kicked. It's going to beat you. It's not one day. You'll come back when you're 50 or 60 or 70 and go, Oh, that's not working so good for me. I lost my kids. I'm in my fourth wife. I, oh, da, 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 da. It's okay if you do that. But if you switch to the white, he says, 
I'm never going to stop loving you and I'm going to make a way back for you. What the heck are you thinking? But a lot of people think he's angry with us. He's disappointed in us. He hates us. He will never, ever stop loving us no matter what we ever do. That's one of the most powerful psychological tools that there is. Just think for a moment if you're depressed and miserable and you find out you've got a supreme being who no matter what you've ever done, loves, adores, and cherishes you, will never abandon you. Let's talk about that. That feels good. I mean, I pretended that was happening and yeah. And it he makes did. it a lot easier. It does. Okay, talk about abandonment. Well, uh, let, let's go here for just a minute. Uh, I left God, as I, I, you probably knew that. Uh, when I was a child, uh, I prayed that my Heavenly Father, uh, I had the faith my mother had cancer. Yes. So I had the faith if I prayed to God, she would live. Mm-hmm. I talked about this before. Yes. She died. Yes. Okay. Then I got a grandmother. She got sick. And I said, God, please heal her. Please forgive her. Make her better. I'll do everything right. I'll be a good boy. I'll go to church. I'll do everything. I have the faith. I know she'll live. And she died too. Yes. I think we've all done this in one way or another. Yes. Yes. So what did I do? I said, and especially when I got to my other mother who said, please don't have her hate me anymore. Please make it so she loves me. Your stepmother. Yeah. Please throw me out. And he didn't. So what did I say to God? Goodbye. You goodbye. You suck. He's not going to be there. Well, I didn't change right away, but I got kids. And then when my kids were growing up in elementary school, sometimes they'd get in some real jams. But I, by golly, I'm not going to be like God wasn't. God wasn't there for me. I'll be there for my kids. They're in trouble. I'll rescue them. Well, when my children got in about the fifth or the sixth grade, and I realized if I rescue them every time they're in trouble, is that good for them? No, and the school leader, the school people will not like you. (laughs) But if you go down, don't you talk to my son that way. Come on, let me rescue him. Is that good for him? No. It's sometimes the hardest (laughs) thing to live when seeing people being mean to our kids because of what they're doing and getting after us. Can we stand by them? Yeah. So I can say to you, Libby, I'm standing here, but I'm not going to rescue your butt because if I rescue your butt, you won't learn what the hell this is supposed to teach you. Is that right? That's right. But I can stand by you. And then I remember my son one day when he was about 30 telling me, uh, yeah, 30 saying, you should have rescued me. You let me into deeper stuff. You should have rescued me. And I remember saying to him, I'm sorry, I felt it was right to stand by you and not rescue you. But then he got children and he realized if I keep rescuing them, that's not good for him. So mm-hmm. I'll stand by him. And they're all turned out just fine. But they had to go through their crap, much the same that my children did. Go do some stupid stuff. But do you abandon them? No. But if you rescue them, that's not they're good, not is gonna, it? Not Can you stand by them? Yes. Reassure them that they love you? Mm-hmm. Say, I'm never going to leave you. Mm-hmm. I'll walk with you. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'll offer advice. I may tell you what to do, yeah. but you got to fix you. Yeah. Who's talking? You to your kids, me to my kids, or God to us? Uh, all of it. So God never abandoned me? Mm-mm. He's been standing me through all this? Mm-hmm. 22 years as an alcoholic? Yep. He stood by me? He did. When everybody else said, oh, you're a drunk, you're no good, you're not going to amount to... And, and oh, thrown out of the house, all kinds of things I went through. Yeah, you probably felt like he wasn't. Oh, I was bit. I left him when I was 15. Didn't find him again until I was well into my 30s. And went, oh, oh, he's always been there. Yeah, he has always been there. 
and he will always be there. I think that's a good place to wrap. Thank you for taking a minute and giving us some good little jewels to think on for this next week. And, uh, you know. Um, thanks, Libby, for interviewing me. It feels good to, to be able to think about it. And as I was talking to you today, some of the memory popped in that I wanted to talk about that I had I'd forgotten. And I teared up while I was saying because it says my brain is coming back. And it really yeah, good. I did see you tearing <laughs> up. So that was because you you were remembering some yeah, things. Yeah, but my brain is coming back slowly. Yeah, that's really awesome. me that yeah. Okay, we love you. We'll see you guys next week. And uh, yeah, we've got some good stuff to talk about. So, okay, bye.